When I was a child growing up in America, we used to discuss sometimes who was the God of Hador. And some people used to say Reb Moshe was known as the biggest posek in, uh, in, in America, for sure, in the whole world. Some people used to say Rav Soloveitchik, the Gon of, of Yeshiva University. And some people used to say uh, Reb Aaron Kotler, the Rosh Yeshiva of Lakewood. And someone said to me that it's possible that the real Godel Hador is some shoemaker, some very simple person who lives someplace in Geula and Me'asharim in, in Eretz Yisrael in some corner. Who knows who the, Godel, the real Godel Hador? Very often, many great Gedolim somehow never become famous. They're very quiet, private people, <coughs> and the world doesn't hear of them. Today we'll discuss the Yartzeit, the life of one of those types of people, Reb Shmuel Bilblitzki, who whose name is probably not well known to most people, but in many respects he was one of the great gedolim of the last generation. Reb Shmuel Bilblitzki was born in Lithuania in 1888 in Chavdalid Iyar of 1888 who was born in a small town near Suvalk, in Lithuania. His family were business people. He was the only one in his family who devoted his time, really, to the world of Torah. He went to learn in Slabotka, and he was known as the Ilui of his hometown. After learning in Slabotka for a short time, for a while, he went to learn in Tells. Eventually, he wanted to go to learn to Panavish. Specifically, he wanted to learn by Rebitzel Le Panavisher. Rebitzel Le Panavisher had been the Rosh Hashiva of Slabotka before Reb Shmuel had come to Slabotka. His hashra'a, his atmosphere, the, cre- the atmosphere that he created was felt in Slabotka, but he himself was not there. Slabotka, of course, was a Muslim yeshiva, and the Litvak, Rebitzla Panavisher, did not, did not want to devote time, did not want to give a shear in Musar, and eventually he left the yeshiva before Reb Shmuel came there. But somehow Reb Shmuel was felt very influenced by this Rosh Yeshiva, Rebitzla Panavisher, and he left both Slabotka and Tells, and he went to Panavish to learn by Rebitzla. Rebitzla had a small group of students, they called them the, 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 the kibbutz. And in order to be in that kibbutz, you were chosen, hand-chosen by Rebitzel upon a visitor, who chose Reb Shmuel as one of the first members of the kibbutz. In fact, from then on, Reb Shmuel was the one who chose his friends, his chaverim, to be in that kibbutz. Reb gave him the right to choose who would be in that kibbutz. He stayed there in Panavish and was very, very much influenced, as we'll see, by Rebitzel the Panavisher, and he thought that this is his main Rebbe. After the Ptira, after the death of Rebitzel, when Shmuel was not a young man anymore, he decided that he would go to Berlin. In Berlin, he looked specifically to learn Reb Chaim Heller, that great Gaon, who was an expert in Semitic languages, besides being a Gaon in Choshen Mishpat and Torah, in Kala Torah Kula, 
Chaim Heller was also a, a scholar. And he had a base medrash in Berlin where Rabbi Shulam Blavitsky learned. He also, at that time, began his academic career in the University of Berlin. Interestingly enough, he was fairly old for a student, but he stayed in Berlin as a student until he was 38 years old, in the year 1926. Uh, unfortunately, Reb Shmuel was a bachelor at that time and never got married his entire life. He basically had no family. After being in Berlin, a while later, he came on Aliyah. When he, was in, when he came to Israel, he began to teach. There was a school in Yerushalayim known as Seminar Mizrahi. And some of the teachers that taught in that seminar became very well known, very famous, as great Tamni Chachamim. Professor Harav Shaul Lieberman taught for a while at that seminar. Rav Zevin, that great Tamit Chacham who wrote Moadim Balacha, Lar Halacha, and other important Svarim, both taught at Seminar Mizrahi at the same time as Rabbi Shmuel Balablitsky. In terms of Chinuch, basically after being in the world of Seminar Mizrahi, of teaching for a short time, Rabbi Shmuel Balablitsky decided to leave the world of teaching but never to leave the world of Torah. He moved to Tel Aviv, became a businessman, but was totally immersed in Torah. He wrote and learned, wrote Mechkar. Unfortunately, very little of what he wrote has been published. Apparently, a great deal of his writings were lost during the war, during the First World War. He in that respect, shared the same destiny, the same fate, as his Rebbe, Rebbe Tzlapanavizhar. Although we know and heard stories that Rebbe Tzlapanavizhar was a, a great gong, the little that we have from him does indeed prove that he was a gong, but we have, as a literary output, very little. While he was in business, he lived a quiet life. His mother was alive. He took care of her. Although he was busy with the world of finance, he kept his farim in the office and sat and learned in the office. He was so quiet and so anonymous that it was shocking that anybody ever heard of him. And how did it happen that the world did hear about him, that is the interesting story. In those days, in Eretz Yisrael, Svarim stores were not just a place where you go in and buy Svarim, more or less like we see today. But they were really Svarim stores that were a base vad lachachamim. Svarim stores that Gedolim used to walk in and talk in learning. People used to exchange views and exchange comments in the Svarim store. There was a very famous Svarim store of Rabbi Michal Rabinovich in Yerushalayim. And Gedolim used to, Tamine Chachamim used to sit and talk there. One day, 
Shai Agnon writes that he was in that svar, in such a Svarim store, in Reb Michal Rabinovich's Svarim store. And two people argued about uh, Pshatan and Mordechai. So one said, okay, let's take out a Gemara and look up the, look up the Mordechai. A person who was Tsanua in the corner, sitting there, smiled at them and said, there's no need to take out the Mordechai, and he quoted it by heart. And this went on for more than one source. A person quoted a, a Rosh, another person quoted the Shulchan Aruch, and this person smiled and said he knew it all by heart. At this point, Agnon said he was slightly impressed, but Bikiyim of such a nature didn't really, really impress him that much. But later on, he got to know Rav Shmuel very well, and it was Agnon really that made Shmuel Blavitsky famous. The the book that Reb, that Rabbi that uh, that Agnon wrote, Yamim No Ra'im, is unlike the rest of or most of Agnon's literature. One book was proposed by Agnon to write, a collection of midrashim, agadot, divrei Torah about Yamim No Ra'im. When he published the book, or before he published the book, he was a little hesitant to enter an area which was not just literary, but it was the world of Torah, the world of Halacha. And he spoke to his friends, and he said to them, he expressed his hesitation to print the Sefer without somebody going over it. And they said, why don't you go to this Reb Shmuel and ask him to do it. And Reb Shmuel took it and immediately made comments on this and that, said sometimes the phrase wasn't exact, quoted exactly correctly. Sometimes there are different manuscripts. One time he said that Agnon had the Rambam and the Ravid backwards, and Agnon said it couldn't be because he found it that way in the Kolbo. He explained that it was a mistake here and explained how it was based. At that point, Agnon became very friendly with Bielabitsky and, and was extremely impressed by him. In the introduction to Yamim no Ra'im, it says that he wants to thank his friend Reb Shmuel for help in the book. But he wrote there, Todatine Tunabaze, my my thanks, my great my I'm grateful. I wish, wish to express my gratefulness to Reb Shmuel the Gaon Amiti, the true Gaon. Reb Shmuel had read the entire book and he read the introduction as well. And he said that I w- would request from you to take out the word Amiti. You wrote Hagon Amiti, the true Gaon. He said in today's generation he's willing to have the word Hagon there. We know, unfortunately, the word gone has been influenced by inflation to a great degree. Anybody who knows a little bit of Torah can be called already Harav HaGon. But Rabbi Shmuel said, Gon HaMiti, the true Gon, that I would not want you to put him by my name. He said, the only Gon HaMiti that I know, the real Gon HaMiti, was Rabbi So, just from this story, you see 
one, the anivas, the modesty of Shmuel Blitzky. On the other hand, you see a, with a little bit of sense of humor his attitude toward the world that anybody can be called a gaon, it doesn't make a difference. You also see his attitude toward his Rebbe Muvak, to the person that he really felt was his Rebbe, Reb Reb the stories that we know about, or more directly that I know about Rabbi were all based on stories written by Agnon. Agnon was Maspid Bielblitzky at least three times, and in his books and in other collections of Barilan, there are Hespedim, eulogies on Shmuel Bovitsky written by Agnon. Although he left the world of academia and the professional world of yeshivas, Shmuel remained in learning all his life, and apparently Agnon used his influence to see to it that eventually he would receive the recognition that he so deserved. Near the end of his life, at a time when people really are beginning or in the stage of retirement, the University of Barilan was founded, and Agnon recommended that Shmuel Bielblitzky be appointed as the head of the Talmud department, the head, the dean of Barilan, and he did accept that position. He founded the Talmud department of Barilan, was known as the head, but Unfortunately, only for a few years. He was Nifter on Chavtes Teves of the year 19... Um, I have to check. I don't really remember. About, um, I would say, around 19... 1956, 1960, he was Nifter and he had only been the head of Barilan for a number of years. Agnon also talks about his devotion to Torah even when he was sick. They had constant phone conversations, but a short time went by and nobody, Bielblitzky, had not called Agnon, so Agnon called him and he explained that he couldn't call because he was too ill. When Agnon came to visit him, he really, really seemed almost completely out of it. But then they started talking and learning, and it somehow woke him up, and he got out of his bed, went to the Svarim, started discussing the Rambam and the Ravid, and as if he was young and healthy again. A great Tamit Chacham, a person who had a certain tragic life. As I said, he never got married never had a family, his svarim were lost, very little of his literary output exists. The only thing we have is a little sefer called Eim Masoret, where he writes recollections of Lithuanian Jewry and Lithuanian yeshivas, specifically he writes about Rebitzel Panavizhar, and the literary source that we have about him, as I said before, and we've quoted over and over again, Agnon really tried to make him famous. Yehei Baruch.